Welcome to the Dildorks Dorky Discourse on sex, dating, and masturbating. My name is Kate Sloan. I'm a sex journalist, a sex blogger, and you might guess from those titles that I never struggle with low libido. You'd be wrong. Who are you, friend? <laughs> I'm Billy. I'm a sex educator and porn maker, and uh, I've, I've missed you, friend. I haven't. We haven't done this in a couple weeks. It's been. I know. I've missed it's you been too. A yeah. yeah. How was how was your trip? How was last week's episode that you were here for and I, I was I was not? How how'd all the things go? <laughs> yeah, so for this is like who a don't whole know, new game to me. <laughs> yeah, I, I went to Montreal because that's where I had to go for my immigration interview because that's where the consulate is where they have these interviews, uh, mm. and I, it was kind of anticlimactic because I thought that they were gonna you know, in one to two weeks, give me the go ahead to move to the US. But then they actually just gave me this document that said, like, we don't have enough information on you. We need to run like aggressive, like additional security checks on you. Because this the meeting fucking... at the consulate could have been an email. Exactly. It's like they <laughs> knew I was coming. Could have been an email. <laughs> Why didn't they ask me to send the documents beforehand? I hate bureaucracy so much. Uh-huh. Uh, so I cried a bunch that day and was super depressed. That was super fun. I love that for right, me. Right. And mm-hmm. uh, But then I had another like nine days with my spouse after that in Montreal, which is a really beautiful city. We drank a lot of good cocktails, ate a lot of good food, had a lot of sex. Okay. Uh, actually, something that I'm going to talk about in the bonus this month Ooh. is uh, I had a first there sexually, which is for the first Ooh. time I came while someone's dick was in my mouth. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Love that for you. Yeah. So Wait, talk about like that from in specifically the dick in your mouth or like other shenanigans <laughs> no. as well? No, not not from the dick in my mouth. There was other okay, stuff okay. going on. I, I don't think I could do that, although that would be interesting to work up to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> hypnosis might be might be helpful, help, help, helpful. <laughs> My brain was saying helpable, but that's not a word. We're or, out of practice for podcasting. <laughs> How do podcasts? How do yeah. words? Yeah, when I was doing the episode with MB in Montreal, which like turned out great, we talked about October that was up last week. But I did mm-hmm. notice that I was out of practice, even though it had just been one week since I hadn't done a podcast. I was like, <laughs> "How do I words again? This is this is hard." Well, it's also I find it's always weird when because we do this over Zoom at like our desks with like our like our whole setup, and anytime I'm either in a different situation or talking to a person like who's next to me in person, I'm like, "What is this wildness? How does this yeah, work?" It is very weird, and yeah, I noticed that immediately. It's like you know, I was talking to my spouse all day every day for like ten days, but mm-hmm. you turn on the recording, and it's like I don't remember how to talk to people. <laughs> But it came back. I think it eventually yeah, came yeah. back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think folks like the episodes we do with our partners every once in a while. It's a fun, different kind of rapport to bring to the thing. And, like, mm-hmm. y'all always have clever things to say, especially about, like, chastity and things. Thank you. Yeah, I feel like yeah. our two brains are great brains, but sometimes it's nice to throw a different brain into the mix. Yes, Mix correct. up what we're saying. Yeah. <laughs> So what's For our topic a minute, today? I, I, I really thought you were talking about you and your spouse's brains. Like, our <laughs> brains are great. I, I mean, the, the episodes I do with you are fine, too. But, like... <laughs> no. I mean, I do love my spouse's brain, but... Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah, are my podcast co-host, which is, a, which is a... You are my podcast co-host, which is a very special and different type of relationship. <laughs> it is. It is. <laughs> Anyway, we should maybe co-host a podcast or something instead I of guess. just riffing. I guess. Who knows? <laughs> well, we've done several hundred of these. It sure <laughs> sounds like it right now. Uh, anyway, your introduction thing was on theme um, because we're talking about uh, my sex drive has just been d- vanished for like several weeks recently um, and has just kind of started to reemerge over the past week and this is not the first time this has happened to me like the libido is a thing that ebbs and flows um but i thought it would be fun to talk a little bit about uh i don't know our, our experience of that process how we deal with it particularly what it's like in the industries that we're in and that sort of thing um so i guess to start us off with like a little bit of a primer you said you know, that it, you'd think sex drive isn't a thing that you struggled with, but you'd be wrong. Um, is, have you noticed kind of like a natural and predictable ebb and flow of your libido over time? Or is it something that uh, kind of fluctuates a little bit more randomly or a mixture of the two? 
I think some aspects of it are predictable and some are not. I think the parts that are predictable are like if I'm depressed or if I'm going through a period of extreme stress at work or mm. going through a difficult situation in my personal life or what have you, um, I'm much more likely to have a big drop in libido. And I do think of libido similarly to being in love as like something that like for some people and at some times it just happens naturally and that's great. But there are times where you sort of have to work at it and you have to make it a conscientious effort and a deliberate process of trying to stoke that back up again. Mm -hmm. But we'll get into that later. Um, I think in addition to that, there are times when it just feels sort of random and mm -hmm. I can't really figure out like what's causing it. And I think that one of the most important things I've learned when that happens is don't panic because like, especially yeah. in my line of work, but I think this this is relevant for a lot of people is like you might really have this panicked feeling of like oh no like I don't want sex anymore and like what does that mean for my relationships and for my future and will I ever get it back and am I broken and is my partner mad at me etc cetera, etc cetera. like there's just so much mm -hmm. stuff that you can get stressed out about and as we know from Emily Nagoski's books stress literally physiologically stops you from getting turned on you are throwing mm -hmm. gasoline on the fire when you do that and I think really the important thing to do is just like embrace it. It is just part of life. And I think if you're relaxed about it and are gentle and kind with yourself about it, that you're much more likely to be able to reawaken that libido whenever it's ready to reawaken. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, yeah, I think anyone who hasn't read Emily Nagoski's books, um, Definitely should. And I think Come As You Are is like incredibly relevant to a lot of the things we're going to be talking about today in terms of like talking about the fact that sex drive isn't really a drive, right? It's not the, the, the way hunger or thirst is, right? There isn't a penalty for not satiating it. It is just the urge towards something pleasurable, not the urge to get away from something uh that feels bad or isn't or is dangerous right like mm -hmm. hunger etc um you're not going to die without sex even if sometimes you think you might <laughs> um she also talks a lot about uh responsive and spontaneous desire in that book um which is the difference between sexual desire that is just kind of spawns out of what feels like nowhere um, being spontaneous desire, which, like, I'd argue a lot of that is the a response to things we're seeing in the world and, like, the, the, the culture that we're moving through, but, like, we don't need to dig too much into that right now. <laughs> um, and responsive desire, which is defined as, like, you're not really into sex until you get some degree of stimulus, whether that is like your partner touching you or kissing you or flirting with you or watching a little bit of porn or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and gradually um, you kind of move into the desire for sex, right? I think a lot of folks who experience primarily responsive desire are uh, like worry about not having a particularly high sex drive or worry that there's something wrong with them there. And that's not so much, I think, the case of what we're talking about here, right? That is just a p perfectly normal and typical way of experiencing desire. Yeah, I think the responsive desire piece is so important to this conversation because I think mm -hmm. a lot of our cultural depictions and discussions of sex frame it as something that we all just like inherently want like all the time um, mm -hmm. and that's just not true and I think a lot of people will say you know that's based on sort of a male conception of sexuality and I think even that is not really fair to say because there are a lot of men who don't have a lot of spontaneous desire and may feel broken for it as well. And that also really brings us to kind of what we were talking about with spontaneous desire, where I, I feel like a lot of spontaneous desire is responsive. Like we we assume spontaneous desire is more prevalent in cis dudes, right? But I think that has a lot to do with the fact that they are just embedded in a culture that is designed to provoke spontaneous or to provoke responsive desire in straight cis dudes right like that they are f everything is full of things designed to trigger that desire so i don't know how much of that is truly spontaneous and how much of it is just 
responsive in a world that is built to elicit that response. Mm-hmm. This is one of my favorite Billy Lore hot takes, actually. And I, <laughs> I want to expand a little bit on what you're saying to give some examples, because I think I think it's a really interesting point that I have not heard many other people making, which is I think that there are a lot of examples in the world of like very sexy, objectified depictions of women, which, of mm-hmm. course, would appeal to a certain type of straight cis guy. Mm-hmm. And these are so ubiquitous throughout advertising and art and media that we may not even be aware and and the the guys involved looking at it may not even be aware of how it is regularly stoking their libidos and i think that one of the takeaways from this that's really important for people who are not straight cis men and even maybe for some straight cis men is like if your libido is regularly low and that bothers you you could fill your life with more stuff that just makes you go, oh, that's kind of hot. Like, I know a lot of people have an alt Twitter account that is just for, like, porn. So they'll follow kink accounts and porn performers and stuff that's, like, related directly to their specific kinks or desires. And then anytime you want to boost that stuff, you can scroll through that feed and see a bunch of stuff that's quite likely to turn you on. Mm-hmm. And uh, that goes back to the point about responsive desire. Like, I think one of the things people often worry about if they have responsive desire is like how can I convey to my partner how to turn me on and like isn't that a lot of work to put on them to be like I want you to put in all this effort to turn me on and the thing that's important to know is you can turn yourself on this is one of the really cool and empowering things about responsive desire and this actually really opened up a lot of stuff for me when I kind of realized this about myself is I don't have to wait for someone else to wave their magic wand perhaps literally uh and turn (laughs) me on like I can watch porn I can read erotica I can fantasize sometimes I'll just like have silly little romantic daydreams about people I think are hot and all these things contribute to an overall raising in my desire level which can feel very empowering and impactful when I'm struggling with low libido and feeling like it's my fault or feeling kind of out of control as a result of it yeah, absolutely. And I th- we're going to get back to like some of the things that help you kind of stoke that desire. But another thing this is bringing up for me, and I'm like jumping several questions down on my list, but <laughs> why not? We're winging it today. Um, we're winging it every day. What are you talking about? <laughs> we truly are. It's fine. <laughs> um, we've made it this far. <laughs> I, well, I, I am thinking though, like if we're talking about all of these, you know, advertisements and everything that is designed to kind of stoke this responsive desire in straight cis dudes has me thinking about other things that are kind of inadvertently helping with that, right? And it has me thinking, and like, so I'm thinking about the clusters of feelings that we experience alongside desire, right? Because I notice that when my libido isn't particularly high, I also usually don't feel particularly attractive. Mm-hmm. I don't feel particularly confident in those times, right? Like, Or the inverse is true in times when I'm feeling really hot and really confident and really competent and creative and like kind of on the ball is usually paired with feeling with like a higher libido and like wanting to do more sexy things and that sort of thing. And I'm curious also to what extent, like, how much sex drive is tied into masculinity, right? Like, having a high libido is tied to manliness or this Mm. idea of it that we have for straight cis dudes. And how much of, like, the things designed to stoke all of those other feelings are also leading to that. Does that make sense? Are you saying I'm kind that, of gesturing at a thing. <laughs> are you saying that you think that when cis straight men experience media stimuli that turn them on, that that gives them gender euphoria because then they I mean, feel libido? No, but yes, I also <laughs> agree with that. <laughs> but I'm thinking of all of the things that are all of the media that is designed, kind of the inverse, actually, all of the media that is designed to, like, affirm their manliness and Mm. whatever gender euphoria really we're getting at, right? Um, Even, like, you know, exercise maybe isn't the perfect example because exercise in general, like, 
does increase libido but like you know going to the gym and like doing the things that make you feel like a big tough man or like if you're a person who builds things or like i, I don't know i'm grasping at gender stuff how how do cis men um <laughs> I, I think that this is a really interesting point about confidence and competence and yeah I think about this a lot with regards to depression, uh, and this is talked about a little bit in Joella Nadi's book, The Monster Under the Bed, which I would really mm. recommend for anyone who struggles with libido for depression-related reasons or any mental health-related reasons. Um, but I think one of the sort of feedback loops that can happen with depression is you don't put as much effort into stuff like your hygiene or your personal appearance, and that makes you feel less attractive, which makes you feel less horny. And so... It's not like you can just slough off your depression or your fatigue easily, but I have found that taking little steps can make a big difference. Like if I can force myself to take a shower, even if that uses up much of my remaining energy for the day, that will often mm -hmm. be enough to make me feel like, oh, it's okay for me to have sex now and actually I want to. Or if I can even have myself like put lipstick on or put perfume on and to your point about competence, like I think this is also a, a sort of underlooked is that a word? Under yeah. over. I know what you're getting at. Uh, I know what it means. So <laughs> overlooked say, yeah. and underestimated um, aspect of libido is sort of self-conception. And mm -hmm. since I've been doing my song a week challenge uh, for almost two years now, I have felt a big increase in like self-confidence and esteem for myself. Uh, which does contribute to libido because I think a lot of times if I feel like I haven't accomplished anything that day or that week or that month or that year, it can make some shame kick in. And I go like, mm -hmm. why would anybody want to be with me? Why would anybody find me attractive? I'm just this nothing person who does nothing. And doing something that gives me joy and that makes me feel productive, creative, interesting, cool, smart, accomplished really does help with libido because it alleviates a lot of that shame where I go mm -hmm. like, no, I'm, I'm actually a catch. I'm actually really smart, creative and awesome. And yeah, and that really makes it easier for me to get turned on. Yeah, no, agreed. And I think I think it's really fascinating to notice kind of these clusters of feelings that tend to go together. Mm -hmm. And when maybe the one that feels the most intense doesn't feel necessarily accessible to fix. Mm. I can kind of tackle or, you know, fix for a broad term. I can tackle some of the other ones, right? Like I, sex feels like a foreign concept to me right now. I have no, I've never heard of it. I don't know why, what, ew, icky. I don't, <laughs> but I can maybe feel creative and competent if I like, make this really excellent dessert that's a little bit tricky but I know I know I can do it right if I really pay attention and nail it and then like maybe take some pictures and post them online and feed my boyfriend some or whatever right and like maybe putting some of those points into competency starts to make things like sex feel a little bit more accessible right mm -hmm. um, because I'm so used to these clusters of feelings going together you know yeah, I'm really curious about the neurochemistry of this because, like, obviously for you as a person with ADHD, dopamine mm -hmm. could be playing a role here. But I don't, as far as I know, have ADHD, and I do think dopamine plays a role for me here as well. And mm -hmm. I don't really know, like, exactly how that would contribute to libido, but I think that it is related because I always feel great about myself when I accomplish things. And I get that little dopamine boost of checking off the to-do list or uploading the video of the finished song or whatever. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I mean, we know that dopamine is part of sex, so it makes sense to me that these would be related. Yeah. And I mean, there's, there's also a lot in there in the, like, we live in a capitalist culture uh -huh. and value, our value being in what we put out into the world. Right. And yeah. like feeling, I think feeling increased confidence is probably the easiest thing to link to increased sex drive, right? Mm -hmm. Like when you feel good about yourself, generally, I think you feel better about what, like, honestly, probably feeling more deserving of pleasure and feeling more like proud of what you're putting out into the world to get it, if mm -hmm. that, I guess, makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, which there's certainly like so many things to unpack there. Um <laughs> And the ways we get to feeling confident 
can be really different depending on the person. But it's an interesting, like, connection kind of that I've noticed. Um, You mentioned ADHD as well. I also find that uh, novelty is really important to me in Mm. still having a sex drive, right? Um, I find boredom is one of the fastest ways to kind of put a lay a wet blanket across my libido right and Mm -hmm. like if i'm doing the same things every day or if i haven't seen something new and interesting if i haven't left the house in a while as we do these past few years right um if i haven't like socialized with other people or whatever it's it's hard for me to kind of desire new and interesting things and sex is on that list Mm -hmm. um so I know that's certainly a thing for me that ties into the whole dopamine, ADHD, all of that stuff. Yeah, I think that if anybody is struggling with boredom or feeling like you're in a sexual rut, especially in like a long-term relationship, mm-hmm. something I would really recommend looking into is the work of Esther Perel, mm-hmm. who's, a, I believe, a couples counselor, uh, maybe sex yeah, therapist as well. So. And she has this book called Mating in Captivity, which is about sort of maintaining desire and excitement and a sense of adventure in a long-term relationship Mm -hmm. and a lot of what she talks about is about the importance of maintaining a sense of independence from your partner because she says that when you do what what the social psychologists refer to as merging which is where you sort of think of you and your partner as a unit uh, Mm -hmm. and when you sort of drop any attempt to impress them or to try to seem cool and cute and hot around them or to flirt with them it's much easier to fall into these sexual ruts and to feel almost like non-sexual toward your partner Mm -hmm. and I think that that's been for me like one of the actual gifts of non-monogamy is helping to develop a sense of each of us as independent people who have our own adventures and lives separate from each other which I think really helps preserve sexual excitement because it's like you're learning new things not necessarily just sexually but just as a person And you're having adventures and you're not entirely predictable to me because you're an independent person growing on your own trajectory. And so it still feels exciting and it still feels like every time we have sex, it's not an obligation, but rather like a a conscious choice to do something that we both find interesting and fun. Yeah, that's absolutely been my experience with non-monogamy as well. Um, Going on dates with other people, whether they go well or not, frankly pretty much always reinvigorates my desire for my partner, right? Uh, It reminds me of all the specific things I like about them, and it reminds me of the ways that they are different from all of the other people in the world. And, Mm -hmm. like, the the reason I picked this one, like, I like this one, this isn't just what other people are like. It's not just me and people like them. Like, it's, it's me and this one that I picked out and other people in the world who are... It's often a nightmare, frankly. I I like this one, dear God. Yeah, Um, yeah. So, like, that's really good for me. But it's also notable that uh, Esther Perel's work is mostly or almost exclusively in the context of monogamy. Yeah. So there are lots of other ways to explore this. Like, I think when, you know, you first describe it, I'm like, right, so Polly. And it's like, (laughs) there's... There are lots of other ways to kind of explore these uh, solo independent lives um, without it just meeting having your own independent dating lives, you know? Yeah. One, uh. one thing I've been noticing lately, because I've been going out with some people who are not my spouse, it, which I had been sort of taking a break from, is mm. it's been pretty hard for me to get turned on with other people. Mm-hmm. And I think part of that is just like, I'm a trauma baby. It's very hard for me to let my guard down with people. And that sort of stress and hypervigilance, as we said, like does make it physically difficult to get turned on but Mm. also I think with my partner I just have such a strong sense that like if I have any anxieties I can just freely express them and have them be like get the reassurance I need and Mm. with other people I just don't feel like I can be like you're not mad at me right or like uh you don't think that I look bad right (laughs) or like this isn't boring for you right Uh, Mm. I'm not taking too long right and I think that just the accumulation. Just imagining someone like balls deep in you and you being like, are you bored right now? Am I bo- Is my hole boring? I have another one. It's fine. I, you know? 
Is that one boring? Unfortunately, <laughs> this is the reality. And like, no, I, I'm picturing that because I've had that thought and I have yes. lived that experience. Yeah. Like, I'm with you. Yeah, and it's like the people who I go out with, obviously, like, I don't just go out with anybody. Like, these are nice people who I believe I probably could ask these questions to and they would be chill about it. It's just there is an added layer of, like, I don't know you as well. And I don't <laughs> know for sure how you're going to react to that. And so... I think I guess my greater point here is I think meta communication can be a really great tool in libido struggles. Mm -hmm. uh, meta communication being, if you don't know, communication about communication. Um, so things like saying to somebody, I really would like to want sex more, but I'm struggling because I feel like I'm not getting X, Y, Z or I'm not. I haven't been putting enough effort into whatever and mm -hmm. sort of just having a strategy chat with them about like ways that you can help yourself in ways that they can help you. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that any relationship where you feel scared to talk about sex is probably one that you need to like work on that um, or one where you just like don't really feel comfortable. Like I've often found it to be a good litmus test if like, I'm so scared to talk about these things that it's, I won't even consider it. Like mm -hmm. that is a bad sign as far as this person just doesn't make me feel comfortable and safe. Yeah. Yeah. We've been talking a lot about desire in the context of our relationships. Right. And like moving throughout our relationships as our desire ebbs and flows. And we're definitely going to get back to that because it is a, a big part of this, but I'm curious if like, I'm curious about your feelings about your lower desire days, just kind of independent of your partner. Like, does it, is it hard for you internally and not just interpersonally? If you, t if you take your partners out of context, like, does it, is it hard for you to have lower libido days or are you just like, I don't, I've, I'm not thinking about it, so I don't think about it. I don't know. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think that there were times earlier in my life where I did freak out about it, especially when I felt like my job was very tied to my personal identity and self-worth, mm -hmm. where I would just feel a sort of generic guilt or shame about how I felt other people would perceive my situation. Mm -hmm. But now I've had enough therapy that I'm like, if I don't feel like jerking off, I don't have to jerk off and that's fine. I can do other stuff that I enjoy and it will come back and that's fine. And I think like one of the things I really enjoy about being single is feeling absolutely no guilt about that or like at least mm. not. Uh -huh. and, and that's not to say that my partner is like ever putting any pressure on me. Like I've, I've never really like seriously dated anybody who made me feel like sexually pressured, I don't think. Um, but it's just sex is for many people a part of a relationship. And so if I do have low desire for a long period of time, I do consider my partner's feelings about that of course uh -huh. and I think that that's another one of the really great things about non-monogamy is that if I do have periods of low libido I don't need to worry like I am this person's only sexual outlet like in addition to uh -huh. them masturbating they have other sexual outlets which is good because it means that they're less likely to put pressure on me or like whether or not they're doing that in a malicious way um, and I'm less likely to feel pressured uh, by myself or by them. Um, mm. And I just think that monogamy complicates a lot of these conversations. <laughs> and I'm not really ever going to say to somebody, like, you shouldn't be monogamous because that's a very personal choice. But I do think that non-monogamy holds a lot of solutions to a lot of these problems for some people. Yeah. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think for me, I've had, I have, I think, a, a bit more of a hard time personally when, like, I'm noticing my libido is gone. Oftentimes mine has to do with, especially lately with hormonal fluctuations, if I don't necessarily have access to tea and have to take a couple weeks off or something like that, because the medical system's a shit show, mm -hmm. and I'm not getting into that. Um, <laughs> but, like, if I if I if my T levels drop dramatically because I've been off for a couple of weeks, my sex drive is one of the places I see that first, mm. and like, and also the rest of my mental health, frankly. Um, <laughs> but I, 
I do worry, like, in terms of my relationship and in terms of my job and things, like, doing my job when I don't have a sex drive is not great. Mm-hmm. Like, because um, there are times where I kind of got to force it, even if I'm doing, like, solo stuff or whatever, and that sometimes will kind of uh, prime the pump, if you will, uh, mm-hmm. and get me, like, a little bit back into having a sex drive like i see myself and i'm like oh i am hot wow this is fun i do enjoy this and other times it just makes it worse because it's like i don't want to be doing this oh look i didn't want to do this i didn't you know um this is annoying Ugh. (laughs) um and i'm like trying to be sexy when you don't feel sexy is like oof it's a feat yeah. Um, <laughs> and editing por- like porn of yourself when you don't feel great about yourself. Ugh. Anyway, we're going down a whole rabbit hole there. <laughs> um, but aside from work stuff, I do, I don't know, uh, the sex positive and kink community is pretty core to like a lot of my socializing and a lot of my identity, frankly. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a big part of who I am and how I move through the world. So when I notice desire for those things dropping off, it is like, identity crisis is a big word, but I do have a little bit of like, ah, what do I, what, yeah. what, what do I do without any of this, right? Yeah. Um, and like, what if it never comes back? And, and also it's just, there is the feeling of like, a core thing that brings you a lot of joy not necessarily bringing you joy in that moment you're like but where what do i do with all of that energy and time and thought that would normally go towards that Mm -hmm. right like um (laughs) the analogy in my head might be a bit of a stretch but we have enough autistic listeners um is like when your safe food stops tasting good and Mm -hmm. you're like no i've eaten this for dinner every night for like weeks slash months why is it suddenly not taste like dopamine anymore i don't understand (laughs) i Mm -hmm. um and it's a similar or like you beat a video game that you've been playing forever and you're like what do i do with that now (laughs) yeah i'm still i'm still mourning tears of the kingdom honestly (laughs) yeah yeah that's what i was thinking when i was saying that but i wasn't gonna call you out (laughs) um but it does like i there is a little like a little bit of nervousness around that and the like kind of like I talked about earlier so often having a somewhat high sex drive or wanting to have sex with folks or wanting to flirt with folks or whatever um is so tied into feeling confident and attractive and competent and clever and all of the things as well and like Mm -hmm ideas of social value which is a thing i can unpack and work on but like it's fine we're not gonna get into that Mm -hmm. um so like feeling like my libido drops because i have not been injecting the right chemicals into my body because our healthcare system's broken kind of like cuts all those off at the knees right and leaves me at a disadvantage for a lot of it so i definitely struggle with uh all of that i also (sighs) sex drive is a big word that is encompassing a lot of different things there, right? Because my desire for flirting and partnered sex is separate from, frankly, my desire for, like, flirting with new people and, like, NRE-type energy is not always the same as my desire for partnered sex with my long-term partner, which is not always the same as my desire for, like, solo sex and masturbation and that sort of thing, which is not always the same as my desire for kink, right? Mm -hmm. Like, those... For me, I think I experience them as very separate drives um, for lots of different feelings. Um, and like there are times when all of them turns off and that's when I kind of really start to panic. But uh, I I think, yeah, I, my desire for any one of those things can fluctuate based on the day. Do you experience that similarly? Yeah, for sure. And I think that it's been really helpful and important for me to say, like, if I don't feel like having sex right now, why is that? What is it that I don't feel like doing? What is it that feels exhausting or unappealing when I think about it? And one thing for me is I find in-person sex more energetically draining than sex over the phone, for example. Uh And I find sex on the phone more energetically draining than sexting 
Mm-hmm. And so that's actually one of the reasons that I think I've thrived in a long distance relationship is that phone sex just does not take as much energy from me or as much like bodily preparation for me to feel good about it uh, as in person sex. And I think. Do you think that has to do with expectations of performance? Or yes. That you're putting on yourself? Yeah, I think it has a lot to do with like, you just have to perform a face differently when someone's looking at you. I don't think so I'm autistic perception. either, but like, this feels like a, like a very autistic thing. Um, yeah. And also, you know, just physically, there's more moving around. Because in phone sex, we're talking mm. about all the moving around we would be doing, but I'm not necessarily going to be actually like getting into those positions. Sometimes I do, but mm. um, so then I think one takeaway from this that can be applicable to people who even aren't in a long distance relationship is like is there if if this is your struggle like if when you think of sex you're like oh that just seems like so much work is there like a lower energy version of that that seems fun and i think a lot Mm -hmm. of times for people this might be jerking off to porn side by side um i've sometimes done a thing where like for some reason it just feels like more work and more stressful and more effort to receive and sometimes i just want to give and then Mm -hmm. vice versa there's times when it's the opposite And I think that this is something that's great to be open with your partner about. Obviously, you don't want to establish a sexual pattern where you're just like sexually selfish all the time because that sucks. Mm -hmm. But um, I think a lot of partners would probably be receptive to rather than you just saying, I don't feel like it right now. Maybe you saying something more like, I don't feel like doing this thing right now. But like, what about this? Mm -hmm. Um, And I just always try to take a moment and check in with myself. I think I used to have a problem where like when sex was proposed or when someone started making a move on me, I would just sort of freeze up and would just either go with the flow or just be like, actually, no, not at all. And then I might regret it that I might regret that a few minutes later when I think like, oh, actually, like was wanting, I don't know, some intimacy or some pleasure or even to get off. But I just didn't want to do that particular thing, whatever I thought was about to happen. And. So you can take some time either at that moment or at another time when you can think it through, maybe journal about it or whatever, and think like what would feel good in that time. Mm -hmm. And um, I find masturbation a lot less energetically draining in many ways because I don't have to think so much about like communicating on a moment to moment basis, like what's working and what I want someone to do more of or whatever. Mm -hmm. And also if you're watching porn, it kind of takes away the feeling of like, oh, I need to be like talking to this person or like engaging with them socially when I maybe don't have the energy to do that. Yeah, don't talk over the movie. (laughs) Yeah, like sometimes we do if we feel like it, but it's like, I like that you don't have to. Um, Mm. The problem with this is like, if you have a partner who's like really extroverted or has a lot of energy or just like doesn't really empathize with these struggles directly, it can be hard to explain this without sounding like, I don't like you and I don't want to fuck you and I find you exhausting, which is not what it is, right? Like it's, you would probably feel that way about anyone in that situation. Um, But uh, I'm very lucky to have a partner who basically understands this stuff. It it is, I do find it, I have in the past sometimes found it tricky to phrase this stuff in ways that was not offensive because it's like, if you're already exhausted and drained, you might not feel like you have the energy to like, phrase this stuff in a socially acceptable diplomatic way which Mm -hmm. is why it's sometimes good to have these conversations when it's not actively relevant and you can be like yeah the last time that came up I just really didn't feel like I had the energy and like here's what would have helped yeah yeah I think it's definitely helpful to have conversations about these sorts of things when you have kind of the bandwidth to give the full context for things and really Mm -hmm. talk about like the different experiences you've had and the ideas that might sound good and might not so that at the times when you're kind of struggling you can actually like you're referencing the cliff notes of a conversation rather than having to articulate it all from the jump right you already have this shared uh, understanding and the shared dialogue of like, ah, this is the way that my brain works. Remember that thing about that thing? Yeah, I'm having that thing right now. Mm-hmm. And that'll be really helpful. That's definitely something uh, I've experienced with my partner and I. Um, and this is actually kind of bringing us around to a listener question that we got asking for advice on A, assuring the higher drive partner that like it's not about them and you still find them attractive. You're just not feeling it necessarily right now. Um, And kind of the other side of that, how to take that 
soft rejection, because it is kind of a rejection, right? Um, even if it's not of you, it's a rejection of doing things at this moment, right? Um, with grace and not kind of letting it uh, hit you in a way that hurts. Yeah. Um, on the front of receiving a rejection, mm-hmm. truly for me, the most important thing with this has been trauma therapy. Mm-hmm. And you could learn a lot of tools and we could tell you a lot of tools for emotional regulation in the moment or whatever. But I think a lot of times people who have a strong emotional reaction to this, it's because of something that's happened in their past where they felt really rejected or they felt unlovable, unwantable. They felt shame. And so they have kind of an emotional flashback to that moment because Mm -hmm. I think most people, you know, are fairly rational and they know on a, logical level your partner saying i'm just not up for it tonight does not mean they hate you they've never wanted you and no one will ever want you but it's very Uh easy for your brain to make that leap especially if you have this trauma background where it's very easy to flip into these emotional flashbacks so if Uh you have any way of addressing that like i did trauma therapy but there are books that teach trauma therapy skills like self-therapy by jay early Um, No Bad Parts by Dick Schwartz. These are both internal family systems books, which is the system that I've found most helpful for dealing with trauma, but really Mm -hmm. whatever works for you. Um, I think emotional regulation is a really important skill. And for me, part of that has been like, if my partner says something and I feel a very strong emotional response to it, I've gotten much better at being like, oh, I'm feeling kind of triggered by that. I need to step away. Can we talk Mm -hmm. again in like half an hour? and I just breathe and I notice the way I'm thinking because if I'm triggered, I'm probably having black and white thoughts like, how dare they? They were trying to hurt me by saying that. They hate me. They've never wanted me. No one will ever want me. And when I notice that I'm able to have more nuanced thoughts that are compassionate toward myself and toward other people, then I know I'm back in like a healthier headspace where I can have that conversation. Mm-hmm. In terms of offering a rejection, I think it's, I mean, people always talk about I statements. I, th- I do think mm-hmm. it is really important to focus on yourself and why you're feeling this way and not make it about the other person. I think a lot of times people feel a lot of shame about not having desire. And so they try to blame it on something else. And it may not really be that. And if it is a you problem, which it probably is, it's good to like take responsibility for that. And offer reassurance if you can in the moment like you're super hot would love to fuck you on our date night on friday just like not really feeling it tonight Uh um if you feel up to offering an alternative that can be nice i don't ever want people to feel like they have to do that or you know sexually coerced or whatever but i sometimes will want to like give my partner a hand job or a blow job or something like that if i'm not really feeling up to receiving which usually for me ends up making me feel really good because it's a way of feeling intimate and connected mm-hmm. and engaging in sexuality without going over a line that feels uncomfortable for me at that time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've definitely found a lot of value in negotiating the kind of sex that I do feel capable of at that time, um, whether it is specific activities or like I burn out on the performance aspect of sex like really quickly just between work stuff and all of the things like sex where I have to be perceived as like acting enthusiastically engaged in a very particular way I find kind of the most draining these Mm -hmm. days in terms of like types of sexual acts. I mean topping is definitely above that. I just don't have the cardio, but like, you know, but <laughs> right underneath that is like really performative bottoming. Um, and sometimes my partner and I will negotiate like role plays that involve like me being quote unquote drugged or asleep or something along those lines, right? Where like there is context for me having less a less expressive style of bottoming Mm -hmm. and actually find it really great for particularly stressed out versions of my brain because a yeah there's no pressure for me to perform a well there's no pressure for me to perform a particularly enthusiastic style of bottoming however 
I can occupy a solid chunk of my brain with performing a kind of blankness, if mm-hmm. that makes sense, mm-hmm. right? Um, you know, if I'm being a certain type of drugged or a certain type of asleep, right, playing up, like, the different ways, like, am I focusing enough on the muscles here that I'm, like, particularly limp in a particular way, or I'm letting them throw me around in a particular way, or, you know, all of those things are almost that meditative practice of relaxing one muscle at a time thing mm-hmm. that is supposed to kind of ground you, right? I'm, I'm, I'm doing a little bit of that um, while not being expected to perform this particular thing that I find draining, right? Mm-hmm. Now, that's definitely not a one-size-fits-all answer, but it is um, kind of speaking to one of the many different styles of like how you can think about what part of this doesn't feel accessible to you right now and what parts of it still do sound fun and Mm -hmm. finding things that suit that Um, and again having these conversations with your partner throughout your relationship can kind of create this shared language that you have for your experiences so you can kind of talk about these different things Um, I think you know we are talking in the context of like a longer term relationship and i think this does get easier the longer you've been with someone because it's on both sides of this kind of rejection conversation because it's easier to see that this is an isolated incident across the span of a relationship right um the first couple of times you do this though i do think it is going to be harder mm-hmm. right um if you're the person receiving this information like we've talked a lot about alternatives and that sort of thing it's not your job to recommend them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you are the person receiving this information, like if you are years into a relationship and you know this person really well and you have a like really bountiful well of shared goodwill and respecting like that you're both coming from a place of caring about each other and wanting to be good to one another or whatever. Yeah, maybe you're in a place to be like, well, how do you feel about like maybe jerking me off or something? Like you look really hot. I'd really love to feel your hands on me, whatever. And like that may feel sexy and hot between the two of you, right? Early on in a relationship though, it's so much easier for that to feel like pressury and Mm -hmm. like you're bartering, um, not barter, not banter, haggle. There we go. (laughs) Um, I got it. It's there. Um, like, you're, like, haggling with someone, right? All right, well, I, uh, you won't give me a PIV, but what about a blowjob? Okay, well, I can settle for a hand job. How about we do this, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and especially if you're not conscious of whatever power dynamics are there and that sort of thing, like, so easy for that to feel like pressure. So you, you can definitely be open to hearing what they have to say, but I think early on your role is to, as much as possible externally, immediately in the moment right help them feel safe in that and like if you notice a flare-up of feelings you can be like oh we're just gonna put those in the corner and address those in a second because that's it's definitely about me though like i uh you know you you can recognize the rejection you could even bring that up to them later but i think the first couple of times someone is like actually i'm not feeling it right now um are really vulnerable for both of you. And like, yeah, as the person receiving it, you want to make them feel as safe as possible in that moment, right? And as supported as possible, right? You don't just want to be like, well, fuck it, all right, I'm gone for the night, hat on, out the door, (laughs) right? Like, um, you know, anyway, you get what I'm getting at. Um, I don't need to explain how to be decent human beings to most of you, I hope. Um... (laughs) If you're a person giving this information, though, like, I think as much as possible, right, like, often initiating isn't just going to be like, hey, you want to have sex? Like, sometimes, sure, but I think a lot of times we're talking about someone, like, kissing you and touching you and moving towards sexy things, initiating in the ways that you're going to, and needing to, like, stop them so this is also a vulnerable moment for them right Mm -hmm. um and having a moment of so i think if you're able to you know um maybe taper that down and like still share a little bit of intimacy but say hey like i'm not feeling like sexy things tonight i'd love to keep cuddling with you or whatever like i like you're super hot but I'm just not feeling it. If you have a because, here's a great place. Like, I'm so stressed, I can't stop thinking about X, Y, Z, or like, 
my back really hurts or whatever. Yeah, I got a headache, you know, whatever is actually going on, right? Mm -hmm. Um, If there is an answer to that. Um, While still as much as possible and as much as feels good for you, uh, continuing some kind of touch Mm -hmm. and like expressing some kind of physical and or emotional desire for them, right? Like, I've certainly had times where I'm just, sex is icky and I've never heard of it in my life and people, <laughs> like, my partner is touching me and I jump across the couch and I'm like, ah, no, no, <laughs> nope, sorry, not, mm-hmm. can't do that right now. Like, <laughs> and, you know, that sometimes that is just all you've got in you. I get that. That's, that, that's fine. Yeah. Um, but in the times where you feel able to, I think still being able to feel t- close to them and like touching them in a loving way while saying really not feeling it tonight but like let's check in xyz next time we're going to see each other whatever um is a really great way to help them still feel desired right Mm -hmm. um just that the the tone of voice and the body language i think can do a lot of work there Mm -hmm. you know um and i think is is really valuable to consider Yeah, I think that times when I've like fully pulled away from someone physically and emotionally when rejecting them sexually, it's been times when I didn't really trust that they were going to listen to what I said. Mm. Because there are a lot of people whose attitude is sort of like her lips say no, no, but her body says yes, yes. And it's it's Mm -hmm. awful. Like I would love to be able to continue cuddling or being emotionally close or holding hands or whatever despite me having to turn someone down sexually but it feels like a lot of people read that as mixed signals which I guess I can get but like I think with consent it is very important to always listen to people's verbal statements first and foremost even Mm -hmm. if you feel like the physical signals are conflicting because the verbal signals are ultimately the clearest and the most explicit uh, I think in most cases And so I've often felt like, especially if I don't know someone very well yet, or if I've had experience in the past that they have been sexually pressury, that if I have to give a sexual rejection, I will like really pull away in all senses and put a wall up, which probably doesn't feel great for them. But for me, it often feels like the best way to protect myself in a situation where I'm not sure that my boundaries will be respected. Yeah. Yeah. I think safety is a big part of, um, why folks sometimes react in that way. And I think if you're seeing yourself doing it or if you're seeing a partner doing it, it is worth reflecting on that. I know for me, I've also had it happen in terms of just sensory things. Mm -hmm. For me, touch is one of the senses that is very easy to uh, either overload for me or just make me feel like really uncomfortable really quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes my skin just doesn't feel right. I don't know what to tell you. It's just there's something wrong about it. Don't touch it for the love of God. (laughs) Um, So like there are times where it is very much a me thing um, where I'm like overstimmed in a particular way and I'm like, oh, I don't have a body right now. Sorry, we can't acknowledge that. Um, So like that isn't necessarily a universal thing, but I do think that is a big thing. Uh, for a lot of folks yeah we're running kind of tight on time but I do want to talk a little bit just about some of the quick tricks that you found for kind of reinvigorating uh, your libido when you've noticed that it's relatively low we've trickled a few things throughout here but I kind of want to close out on some practical tips yeah so there's porn and erotica but I will say if a part of your reason for libido struggles is energy as we've been mm-hmm. discussing, which may be related to depression or chronic illness or, you know, being overworked. I think often a hurdle that people come up against is I don't even have the energy to seek that stuff out, in which case I would mm-hmm. encourage you to go back to stuff that, you know, works for you or keep a folder or a list or something of stuff that, you know, works for you. Uh, or, you know, you could seek out fan fiction of a media property you find comforting and familiar Um, Mm -hmm. there are ways to hack this. I have a video on my computer that is also saved on various devices of mine, which is just this compilation of, what do they call it? Throat pie videos from Heather Harmon, the, uh, Mm -hmm. ID throat porn star, because 
I've found, with few exceptions, like, if that doesn't work to turn me on and get me off, probably nothing is going to for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Like, that's just one of those things for me. And so I have that on hand for the times when I'm like, I feel like maybe I want to get turned on. But, like, the th- the thought of how to do that is boggling my mind. Um, I'll also say for me, weed is really helpful. It kind of hits a switch in my head sometimes as far as libido, which probably has a lot to do with pain relief in my case, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, stress reduction, huge. Uh, you might not think it's that directly related, but I really think it is. Like, even if I do a little bit of tidying my room, tidying my inbox, I have a bit more of a blank mind that's more receptive to desire and arousal. Mm-hmm. And also, I think non-sexual touch is important here. Like, it's sort of a cliche to think of something like a massage as leading into sex um, to the point that maybe it might feel pressury and you might feel obligated if that's what happens. But I think if you are in a relationship or a partnership where you feel like non-pressury, non-sexual touch is feasible, it can be really nice. And sometimes it does open the floodgates to arousal. So it could be massage. It could be cuddling, holding hands. Some people like scalp scritching or using certain like sensory kink tools on each other, like a Wartenberg wheel or some of those scratchy dragon claw things. Um, I think that it's really important to emphasize pleasure and enjoyment rather than orgasm or penetration or any of these sort of goals that shouldn't necessarily always be the goal. Um, because really when it comes to sex, I think for most people, it's best if the goal is pleasure, intimacy, fun, and enjoyment of everyone involved And whether or not that necessarily, quote unquote, leads anywhere really shouldn't be that consequential, I think, um, because Mm -hmm. as we've been talking about, like pressure really can be the death of libido. And that's not what you want. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I have found that on occasion, it's kind of a 50-50 shot, but on occasion, just making myself go jerk off, like maybe not even the first time but like I decide for the next three nights I'm gonna get off before bed like and whatever that looks like or at least try to right sometimes can help me build up a little bit of momentum that like because I have the ADHD brain the the goldfish type memory where it's not in front of me I forget it exists I can Mm -hmm. be like hey orgasms like feel good like sex sometimes is fun remember and I do that a couple times my brain's like ah Oh, <laughs> sex is fun. Uh-huh. Did you know? <laughs> right? Um, it is just as easy for that to kind of turn around and feel like pressure and make me be like, fuck this thing in its entirety. Right? Um, because if you try and make me do anything, I hate it. And that's that oppositional defiant, whatever the fuck TikTok <laughs> wants to call it. Um, <laughs> with DSM, but you know. So I think that is a thing to like consider in your tool belt, depending on how you're feeling that day, that might be helpful. Uh, I also find that similar to stress relief, um, having lots of just kind of ambient brain time or getting lost in uh, something that else that I'm particularly creative about, mm-hmm. um, whether it's getting really excited about like a media property or um, doing some kind of craft or creative project that I want to make a thing or, um, you know, whether I'm baking a new thing, whatever, um, just kind of resetting my brain, getting out of whatever is stressing me out and whatever I'm thinking about and getting really focused on something new and more or less recreational is a good way to kind of give my brain a hard reset and allow desire to creep back in, right? Because I'm thinking about something totally different that like feels good and feels productive and has got all the like yummy brain chemicals going. I probably feel some degree of competent and confident in a way that feels good. And then sometimes a bit of like, Hey, doesn't sex sound like a good idea right now? We'll just like sneak in with the rest of that. And I'm like, Oh, Hey, you're back. Where'd you come from? Um, In a way that I think is really helpful. Mm -hmm. I also want to mention, and I don't think we really need to tell the listeners of our show this, but sex toys are great. Uh, Mm -hmm. I think Mm -hmm. a lot of times people 
feel some degree of shame about sex toys or some sense of like it's not the real thing or whatever and for a lot of people stuff like vibrators or strokers really speeds up the process of getting turned on and there's no shame in that they're literally just technological assistive devices uh, in the same way that using a microwave helps you cook faster and I really don't think there's any shame in that and if you're ever with somebody who makes you feel like there is it's probably not a great person for you to be having sex with that's my two cents and getting a new toy is a good way to like introduce a little bit of novelty like I've definitely I I think uh, D is D recently got a new toy uh, shipped to them and it was just kind of like sitting on their desk while they were working all day and they were like making eyes at it like most of the day just like hey <laughs> you, look at you being all hot over there look at hey mm-hmm. right like and like it, it can even if you're not like getting horny over the toy which you might be um <laughs> it is also just an opportunity to uh, infuse a little curiosity and creativity which for me are adjacent enough feelings where I'm like I mean I'm not uh, particularly horny today but I am curious what that thing feels like so like I don't know figure out figure it out and see where it goes right mm-hmm. and it can be the kind of thing to kind of get you started yep I always like to read sex toy reviews when I get a new toy too it mm. just makes me hype mm-hmm. to use it <laughs> <laughs> Well, you're a nerd, though. Yeah, it's true. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of The Dildorks. It's tough right now. Like, the clocks went back where I am, and uh, it's just dark a lot earlier. I'm using my sad lamp. I'm doing my best. But, like, if you're struggling right now, it is a a time when a lot of people are struggling, and I just hope this made you feel a little less alone. And just know this, too, shall pass. You know, things go in cycles. It's hard, but there are other people going through it, too, and you're going to be okay. I've been Kate Sloan. You can find me online at katesloan.com. I have a weekly paid newsletter at katesloan.email. I also have a book called 101 Kinky Things Even You Can Do that could be fun if you're going through a bit of a rut because not only are there 101 kinks in it, but for each of those kinks, there's three ideas of ways you can incorporate it into your life. I try to make a a good balance of stuff that requires a partner and stuff that does not. So I've heard from some people, couples and singles, that they've like gone through it and, you know, marked some ideas of things they wanted to try. And I think that that can be helpful in reigniting things. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at girly underscore juice. Still doing those weekly songs on YouTube. My name on there is Kate Sloan, as is my name elsewhere in life. Um, Where is your stuff? I'm Billy Laura. You can find all my porn over at BillyLaura.com. I'm on Twitter at BillyLaura and on Instagram at BillyLaura underscore. Together we're the Dildorks. We're at thedildorks.com and at thedildorks on Twitter and Instagram. Most importantly, we are at patreon.com slash thedildorks. That's where you throw a couple of bucks our way to help us keep doing this thing that we do. In exchange, at $6 a month, you get access to our Patreon-only Discord, where you can chat with us about and a bunch of other sex nerds, like real clever people in there, <laughs> about uh, all kinds of things, sex dating and masturbating. And then at $12 a month, you get access to our patreon-only bonus episodes. I want to say thank you to our top-tier Patreon supporters. We love them. Thank you to yeah. Stabitha Christie, Amy, Amelia, MB, and Nat. Truly appreciate their support as ever. Also want to say thank you to Protodome, who did our theme song. Thank you to Amy, who did our logo. And thank you to you for listening. Until next time, folks, get out there and live your sexy, dorky life. Check check. Okay, I this is I should eh, maybe I should podcast turn that up a levels. Bit. That looks fine. I think. podcast voice. Woo. Okay. Yeah. Those those check, look check. like levels. Look at those levels leveling. Wow. A little better. Yeah. Okay. Neat. Let's do okay. a countdown. Yeah. Five. Four. Three. Two. One. One. Uh, I don't know why I just echoed back the one to you. Um, That's not how that works.
It is today. <laughs> I think Emily Nagoski's books. Um, Jesus, words are hard. Oh my god. Um, <laughs> so I was just staring into the distance. There was a bug running across my floor, just like out of reach. Just I'm like, ah. Anyway. <sighs> okay. Um, great. I have desired. questions. Hang on one second. Love. Um, put my flip flops on or something. There was a bug running over there, and I don't want you to accidentally step on it with no shoes. Yeah. Sorry. Anyway, I had to save their life. <laughs> <laughs> Looking out for you. That's cute. <laughs>